All right, this morning, as we continue on in our uh, series in Nehemiah, Building Healthy Spirituality, we will be concluding uh, the Nehemiah portion of this series next Sunday. But after that, uh, we're going to just look, we're going to take some time to look at some uh, some qualities of church life that we want to experience first in our own hearts, but then also uh, in our relationship with one another. So there, it's a second half sort of, of building spiritual healthy, spiritual, what is it? Healthy spirituality. And we want to, we want to look at things like joy and generosity and thanksgiving and servanthood. We just want to, we want to look at those uh, uniquely as, as we seek the scriptures, as we understand the scriptures uh, and we'll, we'll dip into that. We've seen those things within our study in Nehemiah, but we'll dip into it again today. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. This morning, the, what we're seeking to draw out of this chapter is the joyful service that we see the people of God <clears throat> committed to and wanting to be more uh, aware of and a part of in their pursuit of being God's people in God's presence in God's place, experiencing his presence. So, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 1. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel and Yeshua and Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hatush, Shekaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Edo, Ginethao, Ginneth. Ginnathoi, let's do that. Ginnathoi, Abijah, <clears throat> Mijamin, Maadiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their, of their brothers in the city of Yeshua. And the Levites, Yeshua, Binui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Metaniah, who were with his brothers when he was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbukiah and Uni and the brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Yeshua was the father of Joachim, Joachim the father of Eliashib, Eliashib the father of Joiada, Joiada the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Judah, Jadua. And in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses. Of Sariah, Moriah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehohanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merioth, Helkai, of Edu, Zechariah, of Ginnathon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Miniamin, Miniamin, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bilgah, Shemua, of Shemaiah, Jehonathan, of Joy Arib, Metanai, of Jediah Uzi, of Selai, Kalai, of Amak, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hezebiah, of Jediah, Nathanel. In the days of Eliashib, Jehoiada, Jehanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of the fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. 
As for the sons of Levi, their heads of the father's houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the days of Jehanan and the son of Eliashib, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Yeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Metaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Yeshua, the son of Jazadok, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor of Ezra, the priest and the scribe. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophanites. Natophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate, and after them went Hoshiah. And half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Metaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Ma'ai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani. Hanani, with the musical instruments of David and the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana. And by the fish gate and tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Maaseiah, Miniamin, Micaiah. This is an e- this, this is an easy one, huh? Eliahenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. With Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Milkajah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law of the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and service of purification 
as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors for singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, for they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Father, help us understand what you desire to accomplish in our lives as we celebrate and recognize what you did in the lives of your people hundreds, thousands of years ago. God, you want, you're, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you want to accomplish in our hearts what you're accomplishing in their hearts as we look to you and see you as great and glorious. Accomplish that work in our hearts today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, we all uh, build walls in our lives. Not physical walls necessarily, unless you have a neighbor that you don't like. You might want to build a fence or build a wall to make sure that there's separation. But most of the time in our lives, we have emotional walls that are set up. And that we, we do that uh, for our own protection. We want to protect our emotions because quite Ordinarily, we have been hurt or we are afraid of being hurt. So we put barriers in place that we think will preserve our peace. Oftentimes, the walls, rather than keep God who is our peace in, it actually keeps God out. And we see that in the history of God's people in Jerusalem. They did that. They, they set up physical walls, but in their setting up physical walls, they had the intention of keeping God in, but they actually were keeping God out. And just for a historical refresher, a reminder for us, so we know what's happening in this, just to help us understand, uh, I, sometimes we get... We can get too into details with dates, and so that's why I've avoided not going into that. But I think it, it's helpful. Talking to one of the brothers in the church said, hey, it might be helpful just to give some dates so we know context and what's going on. So I'll help you with this. Uh, and, and I hope this helps you understand where we are. But in your notes, you'll see that David uh, became king over Israel around 1000 B.C. So it's 1,000 years before Christ. You'll see now that's B.C.E. That came about back uh, a little over 20 years ago. BCE is before the Common Era. They're trying to change before Christ in history books and stuff. And that's why AD has become CE, Common Era, before the Common Era. We know Jesus splits the time. So this, we, we're using BC. A uh, thousand years before Christ, David comes to reign. He reigns over all of Israel. He is in Judah, the southern uh, family first, where he is from. And then he was... After Saul, he was king over all Israel. Then his son Solomon takes, the, uh, takes the, the throne. Forty years of peace, Solomon expands the kingdom. He's getting rich. Israel's getting rich. It's awesome. But what happens to Solomon? He likes women. He's got a whole, he's got hundreds of wives. He's got hundreds of concubines. And they stole his heart away to serve other gods later in his life. And because of that, God says, well, I promised David that he's always going to have a man to be on the throne, but I'm taking a lot of the, the kingdom away. So when Solomon dies, this kingdom is split in two. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah, because God wanted to keep his promise to always have a man reigning on the throne. The scepter will not depart from Judah is what Jacob uh, prophesied over his son Judah. So... The, northern, the kingdom is split around 920. 
It's about 80 years after David is, is reigning. But then the northern kingdom, because of their faithlessness, they, they think they can serve God and serve other serve the one almighty God, but serve other gods. And Assyria comes in. God warns them through the prophets, and they refuse to repent. So Syria, Assyria comes in at 722 B.C., takes over the northern kingdom, and that was the capital of Samaria. Then the southern kingdom lasts for a couple hundred, well, 150, about more years. The southern kingdom, Judah, falls to Nebuchadnezzar, falls to Babylon, and the temple is destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are destroyed in 586 B.C. Not only, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was a cruel man who he, he deported the inhabitants of Jerusalem to, and that's Daniel uh, and the three friends, uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He deports them, he, he, all the nobles' kids, the, not the nobles' kids, that was funny. Because <laughs> we have them, not their boys, but the sons of the nobles, which are still their boys, but <laughs> they were deported. But remember this, uh, they, and this is what's been passed on. They were taken away in chains as slaves. They were taken away from their homes. So what has happened because of God, the faithlessness of God's people, God comes in judgment and says, you think you are experiencing freedom by trying to love me and serving these other gods, but it's only enslaving you. It's only binding you up. It's only, it's only giving you chains. But God in his plan says, I'm going to remove you because of faithlessness, teach some lessons, but God bringing his people back, listen, his bringing his people back is to have them unchained to false gods and false worship and the belief of lies. So when God's bringing his people back and restoring the wall, he's providing his wall that will secure his peace for his people. So we have the 70 year of exile happens and then beginning in 538, uh, there, there are these waves of these returned exiles, Zerubbabel and Ezra and then Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah, what we're talking about right here is not 433, but probably in like 425. So 400 years before Jesus is what we're talking about right here. So not to get too much in the weeds. The, the temple was rebuilt and uh, dedicated in 516, exactly 70 years after it was destroyed. So this is what's happening with God's people. And God wants his desire, and this is the main point, he wants his people protected his way. So faith will flourish in the lives of his people. And he wants that for us, church. He wants faith to flourish in us, but he wants to, he wants to protect us his way because our way typically snuffs out faith. It doesn't encourage it. The wall has been rebuilt in this chapter. Now it's, been, it's being dedicated. And this is a picture of how God, he secures us within a solid, firm foundation through the spirit. And our new identity is solid. And it is trustworthy and it is secure. And celebration then ensues and is, is, it's enabled because of the reliability of God's work in our lives and over our lives. Now, the first big section, again, we have these lists that God says matter. He puts people's names down because he wants us to know that even though we think we're insignificant or have a name that's hard to pronounce from generations to come, God still sees us. 
and he's working in our lives. That's what he's doing. So all of these men, all these names represent sacrifice. They represent faithfulness. They represent what God is doing in the lives of his people. And we can take courage and uh, encouragement from that because of his promise to continue work in our lives. But there's a particular phrase in there that all of these priests and Levites were set up and, and the singers were there and they had trumpets and the worship is happening and they were all doing this watch by watch. And that, that had significant meaning that we'll get to as watchmen that were placed on the wall. But first, let's look at the role of priests and especially the high priest. The role of the priests in the Old Testament, where they were, they were the mediators of the covenant that God made with his people. Mediator, think middle, in between. Those that stood, they were the ones that stood in between a very holy God and a rebellious people that keeps on thinking they know what's best. And the mediators that they were, they were mediating God's presence. They were saying, look, in order for us to remain in God's presence as he's holy and perfect and pure, and, and we are not, we want to be, we have the desire, but we still struggle. There was a sacrificial system that enabled God to still be in the presence of his people. An animal died so the people wouldn't die. And every day... On And the priests, the Levites, what they did, they had different, they were in charge of the storehouse, they were in charge of the utensils, they made sure everything was clean. They had, they had jobs that everybody saw, they had jobs that nobody saw, but their, their whole lives were committed to serving in the temple as mediators of the covenant, to keep the covenant fresh and, and understandable and visible in the lives of God's people. Now, the high priest had a very specific role, and that was once a year on the Day of Atonement, he'd make a sacrifice for himself, then make a sacrifice for the entire nation, and bring that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, where the literal, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, and God called that with the mercy seat, it was his footstool. It was the place that God rested his feet on the earth. It was his presence. Because he was so pure, God the high priest had to make a sacrifice for himself and go in there. Otherwise, he would die instantly because it was just too magnificent of a sight. And the high priest would, remember, he, he wore the, the stones, the 12 stones on his breastplate. And so uh, quite as a representative of the people, he brings in everybody to the Holy of Holies, but he's the only one person. He's the mediator. Now, if you think about it, and you're probably doing this already in your, in your minds, the priest and the high priest were pictures of what Jesus would provide for us in our relationship with God. Jesus took us on his heart and brought us into the Holy of Holies, but not just because there was a sufficient sacrifice of an animal, he was the sacrifice. Now, opening up to us a relationship with him that we could truly understand his peace and his love and his joy. We see in the New Testament that Jesus is now that one mediator between us and God, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 12.24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is now in between us and God, but not just extending a hand on both of us because he needs to uh, placate an angry God. Hey, it's, it's all right, Father. It's all right. Just, I mean, understand. They're trying. They're trying really hard. It's not that anymore. Now it's, no, because God, Jesus has his hand on the Father and his hand on us, he's not separating us anymore. What? He's pulling us together. So now we are embraced by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he simply says, trust that I've done this for you. Trust that I've done. And the ministry of the priest being restored in this way, it was huge in the life of God's people because God is building this and it points to the coming of Jesus. One of the, the references in this chapter was as David did. David set up all of this. If you look in uh, the, the Chronicles, the first and second Chronicles, when David passes everything over to his son Solomon, there's four chapters devoted to the service of God's people in the temple for the priest as the mediators of the covenant. There's only one chapter given to everybody who was stationed for military support. David himself, who knew battle and knew that there were enemies of God all around that wanted to destroy them, he, he gave the emphasis and he knew the emphasis was on the worship of God and the experience of God's presence. And so he said, pay attention to how you experience God. Make sure everything is his way so you can experience his presence fully. Oh, yeah, and you got to protect yourself, so you're going to put some leaders over you, and they'll be in charge of the military. Feel the emphasis. So when this is all put back in place, this is huge for God's people because God has a bigger desire for all of his people. While the Levites and then particularly the, the sons of Aaron who were the high priests, but the Levites, the whole family, the tribe of Israel, who was to serve the spiritual needs of God's people, God intended for all of his people to be priests. All of his people to be in his presence experiencing him. And pictures of the mediation that Jesus is so we can extend that to others. A few scriptures that help us understand this. We, can, we trace this kingdom of priests through the, uh, the, the entire Bible, starting in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. God tells that to the whole nation at Mount Sinai. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is telling them, I want a special relationship with you where you experience who I am. Isaiah 61. You shall be called the priests of the Lord. And they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. Isaiah is saying that to the entire nation of Israel. 1 Peter 2.9, now in the New Testament, you are a chosen race. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a kingdom, there's a royal priesthood. Now, declare that you are in God's presence. In his marvelous light. And then in Revelation 1 verse 6. He made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. He's, uh, John, author is, uh, of Revelation, is saying that about Jesus. He has done this. Jesus is the one that brings us in. So now our ministry as the people of God and the church of God is to minister and represent what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. 
Second Corinthians, there's a lot of, a lot of scriptures today, but it just, it so connects back and forth. And when we see God saying the same things over this course of thousands of years, it's trustworthy. God really means what he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's God's intention as the priests that he wants us to be. And we implore, as the Apostle Paul did, we implore on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we live a life of reconciliation. I have been blood-bought by what Jesus did for me on the cross. He took my sin upon himself. And, And in that moment, he settled God's wrath toward my sin. So then by placing my complete trust in him, I am set free from the penalty that is that all of my sins deserve. And I am set free to experience the unending, miraculous forgiveness of God that does not count my sins against me anymore because Jesus took them. And he took them so we would then have his resurrection life. Jesus gets my sin, I get his life. You hear that and it's like, wow, one, that's it. And then for those of us who experience it's like, wow, that's it? Jesus did that much. I've heard it said that the gospel is it's shallow enough for a toddler to play in and deep enough for an elephant to sink in. It's just miraculous. It's just miraculous. But God calls us to be that kingdom of priests. Now the watchmen, the watch by watch in Israel, there were watchmen that were on the wall. We have this several different places in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in Isaiah, also Ezekiel. But the watchmen had a specific task. Their task was twofold. One, they were worshipful. Two, they were watchful. They were watching to see if enemies were coming. And they had a trumpet, and the trumpet would blast if they saw an army, an enemy army coming to uh, attack. They would blow that trumpet. But that wasn't their only task. And we can't reduce it to simply that. They were the worship leaders. Because oftentimes, they would be worshiping on top of the wall. They would have an instrument with them up there. They had an instrument that didn't just blow the trumpet for the enemy coming. They would blow the trumpet to praise God. And so you'd hear these tunes and you would, you would be, the people in the city would be gathered up into worship because of what the watchmen were doing. This is what God said about what he did in Isaiah 62. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen 
All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. You feel the the job responsibility of those watchmen? They were to praise God. And they were to praise God all the time. And they were to remind themselves, even when they got tired, no, this task is for worship. And we looked at uh, previously in, in Nehemiah how God, he establishes his people together to be a worshipful community. And it's just, it's awesome how you look in Scripture and see that when, when God wants his people to fight battles, he has them start singing. And it's miraculous in how he, he wins battles when his people just simply worship him. So we have this watch by watch. Now there's a dedication of those who are installed. And, and Nehemiah is putting those watchmen back on the wall. Hey, let's make sure everything's in place because here's what's going to happen. Watch by watch. It was typically about three hours was a watch. Watch by watch, everybody who came in fresh had the understanding, God is great, we're going to praise him, so it it captures everybody else's heart to praise him as well. And I love you who put the Lord in remembrance. Church, we're all the watchmen now. We all are the watchmen now. We all have the particular way that we bring worship to the Lord in, in, in how he has, it's through our service, it might be through a particular gifting or talent level because, uh, with playing an instrument or singing, but everybody brings God to remembrance. We are his watchmen, and so we will, we will say, God, keep on going and establish yourself In our church, establish yourself in my life, establish yourself in my family and make your name a praise on the earth. We do it watch by watch. And then, uh, uh, which is a peculiar phrase to me in the second section, verses 27 to 43, uh, rejoicing with great joy. It's like when you try to define a word and use the word to define the word. How do we rejoice with joy? (laughs) What else do we rejoice with? That, I think it's, 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 it's like cascading on itself because it's saying this was some serious joy that the people of God are experiencing. They were at the pinnacle of pleasure. They, they are describing a joy that's unimaginable and beyond words. And this is a joy that we all long for. And everybody that we're connected to in our lives longs for. We long for this type of joy. But it's a joy, church, it's a joy that has been won for us as a gift because of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection life. And this joy is the pinnacle of pleasure in God's presence. We have it in Psalm 16 when David says, You make known, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We have to believe that. So he he guides us. You make known to me the path of life, and what is that life? It's joy in your presence and experiencing the fullness of pleasure 
right where you are. John says, or Jesus says it in John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Think about Jesus' joy. Jesus was a happy man. Now, we, we see also that he was a man, uh, Isaiah 53 describes this, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's, he's a man like us. There are moments where it's like, man, this life is miserable. And every day feels like a rainy day, even though the sun is shining. And I don't know what to do with, Jesus understands us. But he also calls us to understand his joy. That's based in the relationship that he has with the Father and that he wants us to experience. That his joy may be in us. That's a cool joy. And then we see that there's choirs. And where does Nehemiah place the choirs? On the walls. These are some big walls. He has everybody jump up like helping each other up. Come on, let's get up. Let's get up on these walls. Remember in chapter 4, the enemies, that Sanballat, by all those guys, they were like, man, that wall that you're building couldn't even hold up a fox. Nehemiah says, watch this. Puts everybody up there. Puts choirs up there. And this is a lot of people on the wall. And I think it, it represents the strength of this wall. They're stronger than any attack that the enemy can bring. Any spiritual concept. That, and, they, and Nehemiah has them take a route, and they took the exact same route that he took back in chapter 2 when he went out by night riding on a donkey trying to figure out and assess what things were. So I think he's saying, God, you have completed what you led and what was just one person doing something now has been everybody's participation. What a picture for the church and for us to, to grasp and, 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 and honor. And now worship, they're singing. Worship is the culmination of our experience of God's faithfulness, our experience of God's preserving power in our lives. And the choir stands on the strength of God's faithfulness. Not man's faithfulness, but man participate. And so what they're also standing on is the faithful work of the people of God that came before them. That's us as believers. We're not the first generation to experience salvation and, and know the Lord. We have many who have come before us that we are grateful for. There are probably some in your life that you learn something of spirituality from, and sadly, those people aren't walking with the Lord anymore. Isn't that weird? It's like you helped me out so much to see God in a unique way, and now you've just turned your back on that? It's weird. But we again say, God, what, what, why did you preserve me? Why do I have some semblance of faithfulness in my life? God, it points to his goodness. Let me read you Psalm 48. Psalm 48 is just a, a wonderful, wonderful recounting. I, I wonder, there are many uh, commentators that said maybe this is the song that Nehemiah had the choir sing. But listen to what Psalm 48 says. Great is the Lord 
and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. I love that picture. But God has made himself known where? In his place. Through the protection that he provides. Through the security of the salvation that he provides. And we can trust him. And it concludes like this. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Look, Jerusalem had all of these towers set up. And see, they could go to the next generation and say this is... And all of those towers had particular representation of God providing in the life of his people. And they were to go and teach their children, here's what this tower means, here's what this tower means. Now for us, church, we have those same towers. They not, might not be set up in a physical wall, but we have towers of God's faithfulness that we need to go back in remembrance and say, God, you provided in this way. And I trust you today in this way again. And we tell our children, I have this episode, Tower of God's Faithfulness. I have this citadel where I've sought God as a refuge through my fear. And, and we, we project a God that is God Almighty to the coming generation. And we say, this is God. And then they see Him. Oh, Lord willing, they see Him in greater ways than we've seen Him. And that's how we pass it on. We number them. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen? Amen? He guides us forever. So we count the towers of his faithfulness and we have much to give praise over. We have much to celebrate. We have our own choir that we will continue to project and say, God, we stand on the strength of your faithfulness and we stand on all of the sacrifice of the, those who have gone before us in the faith. And God, may we be counted as those who are faithful. So our children and grandchildren will see our lives and they'll say, they serve God. I'll do it too. May they see that life. And then the last section of the chapter, we see that they, they got to serving. The last paragraph, what, what they please be turning open to Nehemiah chapter 12. Get to work. Here's what we're going to do. We find they started doing it. Boy, how... how it's just a reminder for us what we tell the Lord we'll do, we need to do. And we need to get to it. Fulfill the commitment and get to work. But we are all called into the service of God. We are all called as the people of God, as believers, as those who are born again by His Spirit. We are called to live lives that just say, God, I'm serving you. I'm serving you. First Peter 2, this is a few verses after. Remember your royal priesthood, holy nation, kingdom from, for God's own, a people for God's own possession that you may declare and proclaim his excellencies that have called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says this, live as people who are free. 
That doesn't mean free of laws, natural laws. That means free from having to perform to be accepted by God. But he says, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. We don't use our freedom like, oh, I'm free from it, so now I just continue doing what I'm doing, just be a jerk to God. No, he says, don't do that. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Live as servants of God. To who? Everybody you come in contact with. The brotherhood, everybody in church. Just make sure everybody knows God is first in your life. And there's a proper fear that says he's God. And he means what he says. And I live under his authority. And you should too. And honor those who are in offices, political offices. Remember, he's saying honor the emperor. Emperor was a cruel dude. We don't have to live under an emperor. We just have sometimes, well, to say something derogatory, but we have broken people who are seeking to lead us politically. And then we're still called to honor them. No matter what our opinion, no matter what our persuasion, no matter what perspective we have that we think is just right. And if everybody agrees with us, we'll get along all right. Now, honor those who, it's not quite easy, doesn't give a reflex to honor. He says, no, make sure that your servanthood for God, it spreads into every category of your life. And what that means for us, if we are his, his ownership, his possession, and remember, uh, uh, last week we looked at we are his workmanship created for good works. It means this, how do we respond to this? We turn over our work to God's ownership. God, it's yours. It's all yours. Everything is yours. My, my worship is yours. My salvation is yours. My, my sacrifice for anything is yours. My servanthood is yours. God, please bless the work of my hands and may it be multiplied for your glory. So your name can be put in remembrance and you will be established in praise over my life and, and everybody that I come in contact with. Let's pray. Lord, we surrender to you and we know that's what you bring us to. You bring us to you bring us to trust you in your wise methods of making sure that we are out of the way and you are shining brightly in our hearts. God, we want to cooperate with that. We don't want to uh, we don't want to frustrate you. We we want to yield. So God, we turn over all of our work all of our thoughts, all of our intentions, we turn them over to your ownership. And God, we ask that you would multiply the work of our spiritual hands, that we would see a generation come to Christ and remain in Christ and then pass on your greatness to their next generation. God, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's be reminded of what God tells us. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless us.